With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Lathrop, we call it the code and the keys, a structure and a, and a culture that was built very intentionally called EMAL, every man a leader. And we're constantly working on the inner game and focus on working hard and always respectful and planning ahead and learn and think and serve others. We've got these things we're focused on all the time and trying to build into us. So with our guys, you know, as soon as we win a championship, it's real tempting to be like, hey, we're state champs. Now we're gonna go defend our championship. We're like, no, 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 we're EMALs. That, that hasn't changed. Who we are, our identity is the same as it was before we won this thing. And we need to carry this on into the next steps. We are back with our first coach interview of the offseason. And today I am joined by the three state champions from Alaska. Typically, I have at least one of the state champions on every year. They're the first in the clubhouse, first to get things done because they have a brutal winter ahead. But I was really excited about what these coaches have to share. Their stories are very emotional, I think reflective of what's happening around the country as we deal with a lot of the issues that we have and just a ton to learn from these guys. Before we get going, I wanna remind you to register for our sweepstakes. Go to glazierclinics.com win and win our trip for two, including flight, hotel and rental car, as well as the Glazier staff pass. Total package is worth $1,900. Here you have it, our podcast with the state champions of Alaska, Matthias Weinberger, Luke Baelish, and Jeff Trotter. Today on the Coaching Coordinator Podcast, we're going all the way to Alaska to talk to the three state champions from this year. So we have Coach Luke Baelish from Lathrop High School. We have Jeff Trotter from East Anchorage, and we have Matthias Weinberger from Reddington. And uh, when we get going, you're going to notice Matthias uh, sounds a little bit different than everybody else. That is not the dialect in Alaska. He's actually from Vienna. But we'll get into the start of, of all these coaches first. So first of all, guys, thank you for taking the time. And also congratulations to all of you on your state championships. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. We'll get started with Coach Weinberger. And Coach, you're from Vienna, so talk to us a little bit of, of, about how this all came about, that you become a high school football coach, a head high school football coach in Alaska via Vienna. You were in Vienna, and I know we were just talking beforehand, you knew of, of my quarterback who's over there in, in Europe playing, but tell us how, how this all came about. Yeah, I mean, I've been uh, in coaching since, I mean, my 18th year as head coach, and uh, I've been coaching in Austria for, for a long, long time. 
And uh, when my, met my wife, we started doing vacations up here to Alaska. My wife's sister used to live up here in Alaska, and uh, we just came up here uh, year after year. And actually, in 2011, we had a long stint up here in Alaska. I've been a football guy 24-7, 365 overseas. It's been my main job. And uh, yeah, so three months without football didn't never exist in my life. So I asked around if anyone needs a volunteer coach and got in touch with uh, one of the coaches up here, Norm Bouchard. Uh, he gladly accepted me and said, hey, yep, yep, help out. No problem at all. And that was my first contact back in 2011 with Alaskan football. And a couple of years later, after a total, I think, 15 vacations up here, we decided to relocate and uh, move up here to Alaska after our first uh, summer spawn. And the first two years were more or less just, yeah, let's figure out, let's have an extended vacation with our little one. And uh, during those two years, uh, everything played out. I volunteered uh, for the first two years again as a DC at Reddington, and uh, then our head coach stepped down, and uh, they hired me as the new head coach. So I know Luke and Jeff, you, you guys... You weren't born in Alaska, but you've spent most of your lives there. I know, Luke, you said uh, you came to Alaska around the time you were nine years old. You mentioned that uh, you, know, you have family from Pittsburgh, but Alaska is, has been home to you in uh, Alaska football. You, you've been a big part of it. So you've said you've, you've been a part of a state championship as a player. Uh, you were part of a state championship team as a, an assistant coach, and now uh, you have your first state championship as a head coach. But for you, in knowing you know, everything you see on TV and the different places around the country, what, what is Alaska football to you? And how, how would you compare it to, I guess, other, other places that you're familiar with around the country? Well, especially high school football. I, I honestly haven't experienced a lot of high school football anywhere else. I haven't been out of the state. I mean, I played college ball with a bunch of guys that, that grew up down there. But pretty much my whole life experience has been coaching football in Alaska. I know I can tell you just from flipping on the tape from when I was a player, things have changed tremendously. The systems have changed, changed tremendously. Just the quality of everything from uniforms to cameras and everything else has changed so much. But uh, I think the biggest difference maybe between here and anywhere else is just the lack of exposure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we'll have kids that will leave here and go down to the lower 48 and within three games be on big recruiting lists. <laughs> and we had a kid here who was a superstar as a sophomore, but you wouldn't have heard a peep about him nationally. And then he goes down to Oklahoma and within his first three games, he's being recruited by all the big D one schools. Um, it's just a question really of exposure. We're pretty isolated up here, but right. good football and good football mm-hmm. players um, and kids that can compete at the highest levels, I think. And, and Jeff, you're from Chicago originally uh, came to Alaska when you were 12 years old. I guess same thing for you with what you've seen, your experiences in, in Alaska football and just your thoughts. I agree. I mean, that's something I've heard, as Luke said, about being isolated. I know I know that that hurts recruiting. We'll talk about that in a little bit, maybe in some potential changes there. But for you, what's what's the Alaska football experience been like? And I guess how would you compare that to, you know, other places you might be familiar with? So we actually play, you know, I, I actually did a couple years outside um, when I was going to college and helped out Florida and California. And, uh, and then we, we traveled and we had a team come up from Arizona. So I, I would say, honestly, I think there is a big difference. And it's, we, we're limited up here as far as restrictions on stuff, you know, and, and I think they're trying to start to catch up, but you know, we're not allowed to have spring ball, which to me is still something that I, I still don't understand that. You know, we're almost every other state still having it, whether there's contact or not is irrelevant. It's just 
it's going over fundamentals and stuff for the kids to work on. Right. We don't have an organized seven on seven league in the summer, which I think puts us really far, you know, behind the eight ball as far as the passing game and getting some of that going. Luke's definitely correct on the exposure side. You know, we've had multiple players go outside and they're all playing college. I mean, we had, we signed 12 last year, one to Fresno state. And that was, you know, they just saw film on him. He showed up and, they saw him one day of one camp and he was already getting a full ride scholarship. In fact, the Fresno state coaching staff pretty much drove up to Sacramento to look at him because, you know, Hey, six, four, three thirty is six, four, three thirty. I don't care what part of the country you're at, you know, and then I've got a receiver right now that as a verbal from FAU, you know, cause they saw him at a camp and uh, on film during a combine and, Hey, good's good. But yeah, it's, I think with the technology has helped some, but are the kids' lack of exposure on being able to get out to camps, especially, you know, like East and Lathrop have a lot of the kids have financial difficulties. And, you know, East is the most diverse high school in the nation per capita. So I've got a really broad spectrum of kids, some that can afford to get outside at, on a whim to camps and some that are lucky if they get two meals in a day, you know, and so eat or go to camp and, you know, where you could – run up the road to a college in the States or take a three, three hour drive and you're in the next state at the next college uh, camp and get some exposure. You're not getting out here. The exposure part, I think has to be tough, but when I'm in Ohio and the only player from Alaska I'm aware of uh, ever playing in Ohio was a, a receiver that went to Bowling Green. He was pretty good. Uh, I'm not sure what he, I think he went on to play, arena football. I want to say his name was Cole. Magner. Yeah, Magner. Uh, Magner. Yeah, Cole Magner. And I uh, was pretty impressed with him as a player, but to, to my recollection, that's the only guy I ever heard uh, of from Alaska coming to Ohio. Uh, it seems that there have, have been some players that have ended up obviously on the West Coast, but the exposure, right? So certainly when you guys played, that was a different time. I mean, at least when I played, it was VHS. I don't, we seem pretty close in age. Yeah. So that, that's not an easy one, right? I mean, you're, you're talking about stuff that has to go through the mail to get to coaches and stuff. And now we're in a digital age. There's all kinds of, of ways players can be measured. And I would think that that's going to open up some more opportunity. I would hope that it does moving forward, but you mentioned some exposure camps too. So how, how many of the kids that, that you coach, I guess, have the resources to be able to get to uh, the lower 48 and get to be seen as, you know, a, a lot of coaches I know want to see guys in camp. They want to see guys in person. So that's uh, as, at least right now, a little bit of an obstacle in recruiting, but what's that like for the kids in Alaska? Do they have that ability overall to get there or is it just maybe a select few? I think it's a challenge for a lot of kids. I mean, it's expensive and they know they got you up here. I, I think what I've run into the last couple of years is I've gotten phone calls from like, let's say Montana state, Fresno state, Sac state, you know, some of the bigger schools as far as we're, we're seeing. And they're saying, Hey, can we get this guy to camp? Because we're that serious about him. So instead of having a kid, that's not that I'm going to dissuade some, some kid from going to a camp, but a kid that's got a real shot maybe at getting some money or something like that, these schools have actually contacted me to encourage them, like, hey, listen, he gets off the plane and shows us something and they, you know, day half, 
he's going to get something because we're that impressed with this film and maybe his combine or whatever else. So I'm getting that a little bit more, which has helped because then I can go to the parents and say, Hey, listen, let's find a way to get you down there. Whether we got to get people to donate miles or whatever to get the flight knocked out, because if we pay the 600 now, this could be 200,000 later, you know, and that to me, that's an easy trade-off. And that's actually, I had this happen last year where the parents like, we can't afford it. But once I put it in dollar terms like that, the kid not only had a flight down to Sac State, he had a flight to Montana two days later because they were like, he's, and he did, he ended up getting that Fresno State. But I, I think Luke and I, we have a similar school and populations. Um, I'm not sure on Reddington how it is there. So I think, but assuming it's the Alaska expense and we're so isolated, I think we're all running into the same issues. I mean, uh, I think writing this is not different than any of the other schools. I mean, uh, we are a pretty small school, but uh, pretty diverse over here. And um, I, I mean, the exposure for our kids is tough. I mean, three, three of our kids were just in the lower 48s going on a college tour along the West Coast. It was Lewis and Clark and a couple other, I think Pacific uh, was on the list, a couple of the schools, and just visited them. Uh, and they have the opportunity, but I totally agree. Not all of the kids up here have that opportunity and uh, the lack of exposure, the lack of of seven-on-seven game film, the lack of, of, yeah, having also uh, coaches, college coaches, uh, being accessible for our kids. I think that is a big downside up here in Alaska. The one thing you guys have talked about, some of the bigger schools here, my, what I'm wondering is, do the Division IIs, the FCS schools, I mean, even some Division threes, you know, have academic money for good students, et cetera, but is there ever any effort from those schools, I guess, to, to reach out and see what you have at your schools and, you know, a, a lot of those schools obviously have limited recruiting budgets, et cetera, but they're always looking for good players. Is there much contact with the smaller colleges? Absolutely. Um, I mean, we've, we've got, I, I know I, I get emails from programs, gosh, at least once a week or so of just, Hey coach, who you have? And they're looking for lists of recruits and film and whatever else you can give them. And then through, we have the All Alaska Camp up here, where several college coaches from small programs come up and and uh, are part of a camp here. So there's, I mean, there's ready recruiting trails that are there for kids that want to go. I think for at least some of my guys, as big a challenge as the isolation is also just the lack of vision of really being able to see clearly what college is, mm-hmm. <laughs> much less what college football is, because we only have, we just get we've got a university system up here, but it's not quite the same thing as. If you live in Ohio and there's 17 colleges within a half a day's drive that you can go see every size, shape and and, and imagination of colleges and half of them have football teams. Right. Um, We just don't have that here. And so that vision I've we've had plenty of guys at Lathrop who could go play college ball, who could go, go, you know, whatever. But they just kind of hunker down and say, you know what, I think I'd rather join the union or I'd rather join the army or I'd rather just stay home and get a job because um, Alaska is a place where if you can show up sober and pass a P test, you can make a lot of money in Alaska. Um, there's plenty mm-hmm. of work up here. And so for a lot of our kids, they just, even if they dream about college football at some point, it's pretty easy for that dream to die <laughs> and say, you know what, I'm just going to get a job or join the military or join the union. Plenty of college ready football type guys that I think in a lot of other places would play college ball. They just don't for lack of vision. Almost. I think we get the flip side of that too, where we got, guys saying, yeah, I'm ready to play division one. And it's actually like, no, you're probably division none, you know, and uh, because, you know, in the States, and I think this is why these colleges are pushing to see these guys come off the plane because they want to see like against like, 
they they see our game film and a guy's dominating, but they don't know how good that other kid is because you can't guarantee that up here across the board. So what I'm getting, you know, like we had a kid lose a scholarship out again. You know, he was Oregon State was all over him last year, and it really came down to him and a guy from Seattle. Well, they saw that guy against really light competition probably seven, eight times that year, and they hadn't seen our guy. They're watching this film going, oh, my gosh, he's a road grader. But is he? Because we don't know who he's going against. And then the flip side of that is it, it gives our guys a skewed idea how good football is elsewhere. Right. You know, I think the best thing we started doing, and, and I knew we were probably not going to win these games, was we were playing Cesar Chavez, who had won five district titles straight in Arizona. They weren't even the top echelon in Arizona. And then we go down there and they've got like, you know, four or five division one guys and a spattering of D2 and down. And we just got pasted. And I, you know, on the flight back, I looked at my guys and I said, how good a football was that? And their eyes were big. And they were like, oh my gosh, I had no idea the speed and the size. And I said, I said, now given that they get to play football almost all year round. So they're better ready to go. And because they're playing better competition, they're up in their game to that competition. But I've been trying to do that. I want them to bring them up so they can see it here. And not just us. Other schools go to these games and they go, oh, that's Division One. That's mm-hmm. what it is. That's Division Two. You know, I, I because they'll say, and that guy's got to be Division One. Then they find out he's only Division Two, and they're just baffled. No, but that's reality of it. You know, so I think it's it's education on this side of who can play where, what level, and what they can get out of it in the long run. And I think it's getting better, but like Luke said, some guys just opt not to look into it. Well, on the flip side, we got other guys that are just, they just don't understand it. It's just this ignorance, not by design, but they just don't get it because they don't see it. Right. And then naturally with COVID stop and travel the last two years. Well, that didn't help for sure. Now there's a gap. Now there's a group of kids right. that haven't seen it. There is a, a seven on a seven association started up up here. Um, yeah branched out from the Seattle area. I think I was the only coach that actually jumped in on that and helped get my kids involved, partly because a season ago, all we got was local competition. We didn't get to compete with Anchorage schools or Valley schools. For us, that means a quick deterioration uh, of skill sets and competitiveness. So I got our kids into that so that they could go to Anchorage and compete with the Anchorage kids in seven on seven. But then also they ended up going to Seattle and competing down at the Northwest with kids from the Seattle area. And, and around there. So for my kids, that was just a huge eye opener in terms of, okay, mm-hmm. how much better is us is Anchorage than us <laughs> and get us going, but then go down to Seattle and get our butt whooped by some kids from low 48. Like, Oh, okay. this is what real football looks like. This is the kind of speed and competitiveness we got to have. And that stuff's invaluable. Yes. Well, it kind of dovetails into talking a little bit more about what you guys do specifically. And One of you mentioned that not having the seven-on-seven hurts the passing game, but I'm interested in in what kind of offenses you run. And and I have seen, you know, over the last five years of doing this and and talking to some Alaska coaches here and in there, some different forms. I know uh, I think it was Soldatna running like the full house and, you know, every back, you know, running crazy like they had the ball. Like I've never seen any faking like those guys did, but – you know, what do you guys run? Let's start with, with you, Matthias. What, what kind of offense are you running? We switched to a spread system and I took over. I had to defend it quite a bit uh, back overseas, of course, because Aaron runs it overseas in Europe. The first years uh, when I was uh, DC, we ran a split back beer. Uh, but when I took over, we made the transition into the spread with all these viruses uh, up here. 
so so now with with your spread, are you guys a spread to pass? You spread to run? Yeah. Uh, what ba- type of team? We are pretty balanced. We are an uphill uh, a team. We have principles from R four in there. So yep, we use quite a okay. spectrum. Luke, how about you? We're we're pretty multiple up here. You know, our base set with a tight end and a fullback would be pretty standard of what you see up here with the sniffer back and doing a lot of RPO stuff. But we go into spread as well, four and five receiver sets. And then we'll hunker down into a set we call veto with double tight end, double fullback, and just get after people. And so we, we kind of mix it up and do a lot of different things, each its own little system. Some of that comes back to my college football experiences. I played at a little place called PLU. That was kind of how we did it there, where we had basically three or four offenses that we ran. Um, mm-hmm. And then from, you know, from game to game, you might pop out in different sets and just kind of see what works and whatever works and where you spend more time. But that's been, that's been us up here. Jeff, how about you? You know, we transitioned from a fly sweep look my first few years just because it was an easy install. And I was taking over a program that was pretty (laughs) – it was down to say the least. So now that once we got our foothold in it, we moved into pretty much what you're seeing almost all around most of the big college programs now. We're in a power pistol look, a lot of outside, inside trapping. We go from two tight ends on occasion to five wides, but pretty much we've run the same system throughout, still with the traps. We'll still have fly sweep in there like most of the schools do, but more as a package versus the offense itself. And then a lot of play action just because our running backs, we, we were usually blessed with some serious running backs. You know, our starter this year was about 5'10", 230, and could run. So anytime he's about to get the ball, that defense has got to respect that. So we ran a ton of play action off that. So, But we were, we were really balanced. Um, in fact, I think we were like 52-48 run pass and flipped other games. And uh, But then in the state championship game, we went – I think we threw 10 times. We just made a decision that this is what was there and we were able, and the offense is able to morph into that. So, but no, that's one thing I think we got better at doing as coaches is we've got a system that we're adjusting to the players and the, and the personnel we have instead of trying to make them fit the the system. Right. Exactly. So if we've got to tweak it, like we've already made some tweaks because we went from a scrambling quarterback this year to a kid that's already as a sophomore, 6'2", 225, and can throw the rock. So some of that play action is still going to be there. But as far as some of the quarterback runs and stuff, that's not going to be an option. So we've already redesigned the offense for next season. How about on the other side of the ball? Jeff, we'll just start with, with you. What are you doing defensively? We're a four-two-five. We'll morph into a three-three sack every so often, you know. You know, and uh, but our basic concept is five DBs because, and not that we won't see running teams, but we've just gotten to the point we want more speed on the defense. So rather than have you know outside linebacker types, we took smaller, faster guys to put more strong safety types, maybe even a corner type. At, you know, like uh, have a slot corner out there. Right with a strong safety or maybe a guy that is maybe more linebacker size, but we'll keep them on the boundary and we'll flip those guys around. We got very pretty versatile. We don't blitz a lot. We kind of have that unless you force us to blitz, we're going to, we're going to control with our front four and let everybody flow to the ball. And we, that's really, we've had the top defense for the last five years. And I think that was a big reason why when we switched to that and we just controlled everything in front of us, and uh, took the team. Our, our philosophy is take the team's best three things away from them 
and then see what they come out with. And if they beat you with what's left, then, hey, they deserve to win that game. But they got to find out what's going to beat us and then, and then do it. Luke, how about you? What are you guys doing defensively? Well, I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. And uh, so we run a three, four naturally, but also that was, that was the defense uh, that we ran in college. And, and as an OC early in my career, I found a team that ran a good three front was really hard to beat. So we kind of went that route when I took over as head coach and have just kept that installed and stayed with that system. So we run that same system top to bottom, all the same terminology and everything trying to be systematic. There's all kinds of fun you can have up front with stunts and blitzes and different things. Mm -hmm. Some sub package ball where if you're, you're going to see a ton of spread you might switch into a nickel look and and have an extra db on the field and then all of a sudden you look like a four two five but uh yeah we probably spend 80 90 percent of our snaps in a three four some kind of a base look with some shifting and stunting and blitzing packaged in now i'm in cleveland or just outside of cleveland ohio sure. and uh so you you know the animosity between cleveland and, and pittsburgh oh absolutely. Uh, but but the defense that I always ran as, as a high school coach, as a head coach, and uh, learned it as an assistant was the stunt 4-3, which is the, uh, what do they call it, the Iron Curtain? Steel Curtain. With, Steel Curtain with, with uh, mean, mean Joe Green and, right. yeah, all those guys. So that, that was George Perlis then took it to uh, Michigan State, and uh, the, the guy I learned it from, here I ended up being the head coach at that high school at Amherst Steel. Actually, went and learned it directly from the Michigan State staff. So that's that's always been the defense I've preferred, and and um, it was actually a fun one to watch too. Growing up, I I, I have to say I was like a, a closet Pittsburgh Steelers fan growing up. You couldn't admit that out loud, certainly. But uh, <laughs> I, think, I think Pittsburgh's defense lately is called the Drapes, though, because it's not much of a curtain at all. <laughs> uh, man. <laughs> they, uh, they lose one or two starters and all of a sudden they're terrible. And uh, that was this last weekend against the Chargers, man. It was hard to watch. Yeah. I'm sweating, man. I'm a Niner fan. It's like we're bipolar this year. Matthias, <laughs> <laughs> um, how about you? What are you doing yeah. on defense? We're running on that stack as a base defense, but uh, we're facing a lot of uh, wishbone teams, think T teams. So I'd like to stay. Traditionally, I'd like to stay more in a too-high uh, safety scheme, but there's no reason for us to run palms coverage or quarters coverage or anything like that. So we are hunkering down, trying to stop the run for the majority. And, um, yeah, I mean, with our, with our offense that we are running, like I said, I mean, most of the teams are not spread teams, so they have issues uh, practicing uh, quarters coverage or any any type of two-read coverage. And um, so we are benefiting off that side, getting a head start of our other teams and our defenses, I mean, I think the average we got this year is 4.5 4.5 points in the first half against all of our season opponents. So we've been hunkering down quite a bit on those one teams. Looking back at this this past season, before we got going, we we're talking a little bit about the the challenges of everything that's happening with with COVID and uh, the different protocols you have to follow. You know, I know Jeff mentioned uh, that. You know, it, it affected your team in, in a tragic way with the, the loss of family members of your team. But we'll start with you, Jeff. Just the the challenges of this season as as compared to previous seasons. I guess what what have you learned as a coach, and maybe what's what's changed for you as you've had to go through something like this? You know, I think honestly, you know, I always thought we adjusted well in the past, but I didn't really 
understand that until COVID hit. And two days before a game, you'd lose starters and suddenly you're plugging other players. And I think the other thing, and I think one thing that did did do us well was about four or five years ago, we completely changed our practice style. And we've got uh, sessions or, um, you know, in practice where every player is going to rip through all the plays so that they are at least knowledgeable of what they're doing. And that never came into play more than these last two years where we might lose not only the starter, but the one or two guys behind them. And we've got a fourth stringer in there and at least they knew what they were doing. Maybe the skill set wasn't there. Maybe, you know, the talent wasn't at that level, but they at least could go in and fill in. And we had some games where some guys that honestly, we didn't know if they would ever hit the field this year. And they ended up having to get us through a game. And I think that was the thing uh, adjusting on the fly. And I think we all had to deal with it probably all over the country, you know, because you, every sport's doing it right now. You know, two nights ago, basketball dealt with it. You know, the the Bulls lose their center. You know, COVID. No, he's out. Okay. Then the next thing you know, you're playing without your center. You know, every team's dealing with it at some points, and you just—it's not like the game's going to stop unless you know they end up moving it. Uh, you know, you cancel it, whatever. But in you know, in reality, we're trying to minimize that situation. So. I think that's been the biggest thing. Also, just keeping the kids up. We had to really have those kids believe in that every single one of them could be on that field and they had to be ready to go and that we weren't going to have a drop off. You know, I, did, I didn't want to see eyes rolling or anything like, oh, man, you know, Johnny's got to go in and Johnny's not supposed to be playing. We didn't have that this year. I, I, it was probably the tightest team I've had, I think, in a long time because they were really leaning on each other, especially through, you know, a lot of the tragedy stuff that we saw. Um, their getaway from this stuff was going to practice. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I talked to a lot of the coaches. I say what I'm concerned with is when the season ended and the reality was going to come slamming down on some of these guys, you know, cause they, their, their getaway from that, their escape was going to practice where some guys slogging along, you know, uh, they got practice day. Not this year. People were pretty happy to be at practice. Um, that was their oasis. And, uh, I've been trying to do a better job at, as a coach and keeping in contact. I was just texting with some guys last night that, you know, I might've not talked to them for a month or so. I'm giving them a break from me and me from them. And I'm keeping in contact because I think we all need it right now. Mm-hmm. Luke, I, I see you nodding your head in, in agreement to a lot of, a lot of the things Jeff was saying for you and your experience from the season, just the same question, you know, how has, how has it affected you? How has it changed you? What's been different for you as a coach? My motivation for coaching has always been about trying to make Fairbanks a better place and try to just provide something good for the kids. Uh, see, but Fairbanks um, is a really hard place to live in normal times. Uh, it, 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 for seven, eight months a year, it is cold and dark and a little bit miserable, uh, especially for kids who don't have the means to get out of here in the wintertime for a vacation somewhere warm seven months to be locked inside and 40 below and whatever is, is, is as cold as it gets can be just, just difficult. Right. So the, the suicide rates and the alcoholism rates and drug abuse rates and stuff up here are quite a bit higher than most places. Um, just as people coping with it, Does that makes sense. So that's normal yeah. life. Fairbanks mm-hmm. throw a pandemic with remote learning and masking and all the stuff thrown on top of that. Uh, and it's been brutal. Um, so for my guys, uh, everything we've provided has been with social, emotional, 
development and encouragement in mind. That's really been the biggest focus. I wasn't trying to win a state title this year. That wasn't really, I mean, that's a goal somewhere deep in the pile of goals for our goals of just showing up every day and being a resource for kids. And, um, you know, in the off season, we had this whole process just to have a workout of, of doing an online form and, and checking temperatures and cleaning hands and wearing the mask and the whole meal deal, all the stuff just to be able to show up and work out for 45 minutes. Uh, but we're doing all that stuff and, 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 and paperwork and the permission forms and stuff they had to do just to come work out. We're doing, you're checking all those boxes and all those things. So a kid could come work out, not in hopes of winning a state title, but just in hopes of keeping that kid mentally healthy for the next six months. And, and there was tons of that of just trying to help kids stay healthy, keep their head above water. I've never had so many parents thank me just for coaching period. <laughs> just thank you for providing something. The fact that we won a state title is just icing on top. Really just providing a program and having something for kids to do has been incredibly valuable and good. And so I guess for me, that's been a big focus just this last six months to a year. We've just been trying to provide something good for kids <laughs> and help them get through this process of life right now. As far as learning stuff or, man, Buck Nystrom was my high school football coach and I coached under him, first came out and, uh, he, you know, he had the old school stuff and he said, you know, kiss, keep it stupid, simple. And uh, of course, when I was a young guy, I ran out of college, I probably, I made stuff way more complicated than it needed to be. And over time you figure out, no, 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 let's keep this simple. And so I think Jeff would probably agree with this, that having your system be complex, but simple and consistent from top to bottom. So when you have those JV kids have to step in and play, it's the same system. They can step in and play and it's not too complicated. Our stuff might look complicated, but as you tear it down and pull it apart, we've got like four or five run blocking schemes and we use two or three of them all the time. And, and they're simple schemes. They're not complicated schemes. Like we don't run inside zone or outside zone. That's too complicated. <laughs> we run some much more simple schemes than that and just let kids play so that, yeah, when you have to bump and shuffle, cause we all had that this year where it's Wednesday, you got a game on Friday and you just found out you lost your starting right tackle. Okay, now we got to move some pieces around. You better have a system that you can execute with the, the next man up and the next man up and, and all those kind of ideas. And so I think I think that this season really rewarded the teams that not only had depth, but had simple systems that then they could plug kids in with. Yeah, interesting. Uh, and so there's no surprise that the three coaches here on this call have all been at their school for a while and had a consistent, solid program that stayed together through these two years. Um, any school that had change-ups or new coaches or wasn't quite established really struggled to gain any ground because it was just not a time when you could gain a lot of ground. You just kind of had to go with what you had and, uh, and build on as best you could. Matthias, you've been in Alaska now for five years. I know you visited quite a bit um, beforehand, but as uh, Coach said, you guys have been with your programs for a while. So for you, what was different and you know, how, how has this shaped you as a coach moving forward? Coach had a couple of points that I totally agree. I mean, a lot of the stuff is social emotional. The mantra for us for the last two years was stay in the game. That was literally, that was our, our model for the last two years, where everything focused, everyone focused on. I mean, we are a small school. We have uh, our high school enrollment is, what, 305 kids right now. So there is not a lot of uh, second stringers. I mean, we run a GV program, but we know exactly that uh, from our varsity starters uh, to our GV starters, there is quite a, quite a step down. The plan to win a state championship in, in times of COVID and to set goals, hey, we are going to win a state championship. You can't do that because you cannot control 
COVID, you cannot control what happens in your, in your, in your school district, right? You can't, you do not know what happen, happens with your opponents. I mean, we saw that last year. And so for us, it, it was simply, I mean, we play it game after game. We make sure that our kids hold themselves accountable and do the best for the team for themselves. So stay healthy, make sure uh, they communicate with us if they are not if they are not healthy, if there is a risk uh, of it, and, and uh, put the team above everyone else. That is the main thing, and uh, that definitely brought our group together. We had great leadership from our seniors. They had their goals set. They were building that program in the, within the last four years. Uh, so their expectations were high for the last two years, for their junior and senior, high, uh, senior years, because uh, they wanted to go for a state championship. But on the other side, with COVID around, like, like I mentioned before, you can't control it. It's not, not necessarily up to you like in a regular season that you can draw right. the majority of the variables and you can put a lot of that on yourself and on, on your team. But uh, with COVID, uh, a lot of that certainty or a lot of that control stripped away. And uh, that's what we decided. And we, had, we prepped our kids for that. And we said, hey, not everything in that situation is on us. We control the things that we can control. We take care of that stuff. But the things we can't control, we cannot. We just need to accept that just need to accept that and uh, our kids responded as a coach everyone knows you don't want to be in that in, in that situation you want to control everything that's possible but for the last two years it's just not not the environment and not the circumstances that uh, you're able to and uh, i'm glad that we uh, came down uh, to it that everything went into a good direction for us and that we um yeah benefited from it, from it this year it's it's interesting there's there's been some commonalities as you guys have answered that question that really came through number one that that idea of the approach to this really being not that you guys hadn't done it before, but on the the emotional side, the people side of things, you know, the 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 people underneath those helmets and shoulder pads. That uh, it's really important right now that, uh, like you said, you're keeping in touch with them, uh, Jeff, right now. Whereas you would set things aside, and all of you mentioned how these guys really relied on each other and. You know, the, the reality of what life is outside of football right now, I think, are making all of those lessons that we've always talked about. I think these kids can see them right now. I think usually, you know, kids will pick those up. You'll see them over time. But right now, and, and I think it's just the same everywhere, those, those kids who in a lot of ways are going to take the ownership of the team. This is our team. We've, we've got to count on each other. Of course, you have the leadership of the coaches, but also that idea that, uh, on any day at a, a minute's notice that someone's going to have to step up and several people might have to step up. And we've always had that with injuries and those kinds of things, but usually those things happen. You know, we get one here, we get one there, we can adjust, we put a bandaid on it for the night, we fix it. But now it's, you know, you could show up on a Friday and, you know, three of your four, five offensive linemen are out, you know, whatever it might be, those are the difficult things to adjust with. So that certainly came through the idea of, con you know, the controllables and keeping them focused on the things that they can control. Uh, we've, we are in a time right now that where there's a, there's a lot that's just out of our grasp as much as we'd like it. You know, you can flip on the TV and w go watch for an hour and flip around the different channels and, and life will seem very out of control. Right. So those kinds of things are important. The people that they rely on. And then uh, Luke, you said it, having the simple systems and, it, it's funny before this, there were a lot of coaches I'd talked to at every level would say simple wins, right? And now it's almost a mandate that if, if you are putting in something that is very difficult to learn, 
and uh, the understudies, you know, uh, without, you know, major reps aren't going to be good at it, you're going to have some problems. So uh, a lot of good things, I think, that you guys have, have pointed out here that are just good for football and that you're doing and probably are the things that led to you guys uh, being able to win a state championship. So let's talk about that a little bit, that we are facing a lot of things. So uh, to be able to go through a season and have that kind of reward for it, to, to win it all, to win a championship. And, and we'll start with Jeff. Jeff, you've won, you've said three and a half. We'll count it as four, but uh, how different was this one for you? I keep getting asked that question. I think everybody does if you win more than one, which I never, I never thought I'd be able to answer, get to answer that question. So I'm pretty blessed to be able to do that. But, uh, you know, what I said was everyone's got its own, every season's a challenge. Everything's, you know, I think every time you go through a season, whether you win state or not, you know, there's always something special about it. There's always something you wish you'd done better or changed. But, uh, you know, this one, I think I'm going to try not to get emotional on this because, uh, I think after winning and seeing kids crying on the field and it was uh, half of them were, it was tears of joy and half of them, I think it was missing someone that should have been there. That was a, uh, that was tough to see. And in a good way, it was a good thing to see because I was happy they got that um, reward at the end of it all. But um, so I think, I think as far as that is the specialty of seeing kids get fulfillment, but also, missing something there also, you know, it was, it was a weird tug on you. Um, I think I hugged kids longer than I ever have after that game, but overall, you know, I mean, I, I'm happy they got in. I think, I think for them, it was the, you know, pointing at the sky and saying, I did it for you. And we had a thing that we did. Uh, I usually have another coach, uh, a guy that's been around a long time, do our pregame talk and stuff. And, keep him in the loop and I had to do one he had to go out of town for something and I just said you know what I want to do this week is I don't even want to talk I want you to write down on a card handed them all out and said write down who you're playing for and then on the flip side after they got done doing that and I saw some tears coming and you know because I, I, I think it hit them hard when they really thought about it and then when I had I had them flip the card over and I said now you're going to write this I'm playing for me because I said don't forget that it's okay to be out here for you too. And that you can enjoy this, even if you're missing some of these people that you can be playing for them, but don't forget to don't, don't lose it so much that you don't enjoy the experience and the ride. So in the state championship game at one of the timeouts, I just said, Hey, look around. This is awesome. I said, yeah, it might not be maybe exactly the way some of you had imagined it or whatever, but I said, don't forget to remember this part right here. This is important. So I think I think as far as that goes, this state championship in its own way was pretty dang special. Luke, how about for you? You've won one as a player, as an assistant. Now you have your first as a head coach. But this year, more than ever, what, what's it meant to you and your guys? Well, this was pretty special. Just this is actually the first state football championship in Fairbanks. You know, North Pole is outside of town, and and Islesons outside of town. They've won championships out there, but between the within the city limits of Fairbanks. One has never been won in all this time. I, I got emails from like class of 53 people sending me pictures of your book back when the, you know, the first season was 52, I think was the first year they actually played a football game where uh, back then it wasn't Lathrop high school it was main high school or, or main school uh, played a, a game against UAF club team <laughs> and got spanked. But 
you know, I mean, football's been here a long time and never been at the top of the hill. So um, there was some specialness just for the whole community with that. But then this particular group of kids is really kind of like a second generation of kids. So their older brothers and cousins were the guys who, who were part of this program when we took it over in 2012. So before 2012, Lathrop football for about eight years was pretty terrible. <laughs> kind of that automatic win most teams would chalk up. And so when the new staff came in, we kind of took it up. And, and it took a couple of years to turn it around, but then we got it up and running. Um, and so the guys, the, the first generation of kids that came through Lathrop with us, it's then their younger brothers and cousins that were seniors this year. So this is really, in a lot of ways, kind of the end of an era. Like we've been through a 10-year run here of building this program up and getting it to where it is. And these are the little brothers who were eight years old playing youth football when we took over and were dreaming about winning a state championship at Lathrop someday. And so last year, their junior year, we probably had a state championship caliber team, but we didn't get to do state. And then the year before that, they were all kind of scattered between JV and stuff. And so it wasn't the same deal. So this was their shot. This was their one chance or one opportunity to win a state title together. And, uh, so that was really special. These guys, you know, at Lathrop, we've got about a 40% turnover every year in our school. So literally, if you take a snapshot of our student body at the beginning of the year and at the end of the year, it's a 40% turnover. I mean, 40% of the kids will be gone, replaced by a new 40%. Does that make sense? So we're, we're a school with lots of turnover and movement. But this group of kids that we have that are seniors, the core of our senior group had about eight kids who've been here forever. <laughs> And that's kind of a picture of Fairbanks. About 20% of the population is old and crusty and been here forever and isn't leaving anytime soon. And a lot of our core of our senior group were those kids, those families have been here forever and ever. And uh, so for them, it was super special. We had other kids on our team that this was their first year on our team. They just moved here from Texas or Georgia or where have you had a kid come up from Montana, play the season with us and then leave. <laughs> like the next. Uh -huh. week. So it was this hodgepodge of kids that, long lifelong meaningful relationships and other kids that just showed up <laughs> but but super meaningful for that group that have been here for a long time the parents along with them that have been associated with us for a long time and have kind of climbed this mountain for a long while and so a great deal of yeah tears shed and and happy moment and, and all those things and then when we got to go home that was really cool we actually got escorted into town by the fire trucks and the police officers and the they blocked off the whole main road as we came through into town, like a hero's welcome, you know, telling the guys, Hey man, enjoy this. Cause uh, this side of the grave, you don't get to do this, you know, um, very often. And so super special moments there and they keep happening, you know, just re got recognized by the city council and recognized by the school board and these kind of things that just cause it's been a really special experience. It's been pretty cool. Yeah. Matthias for, for you, what's this one been like? It's, it's your first. You've been here for five years in, in, in Alaska. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, super special. I mean, uh, we are such a small school and young school. I mean, we are the uh, youngest uh, football program here in the state of Alaska. This school exists in seven years. So uh, playing varsity football since six years. And uh, I mean, other schools are waiting, what, 20, 25 years uh, to get there ultimately and um, um so it's been it's been great for our school community um especially being the first program up here in our school that wins a state title i mean that's tremendous for our student body and and for uh, the school spirit in general uh, for our community for me personally i mean i i won four championships back overseas so uh, for me it was kind of yeah i knew exactly uh, what we had to do to get there but with the kids especially with with, with high school age students it was 
just such a tremendous group this year, especially the leadership uh, that our seniors uh, presented uh, and, and, and how they led the entire team uh, throughout the season and, and, and told them, hey, we focus on what we can control and, and we really believe that we can accomplish that and we can really achieve that. And uh, every single practice and every single meeting, they asked and, 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 and they drove that down uh, to the entire team. And, and that was that was the main thing. I mean, the, for them, it meant a lot because when, when they played their sophomore years, when they came in as, as freshmen, I mean, they, they had their eyes on. They knew exactly our talent level that we had. And it was the expectation. But on the other side, as we know, I mean, you can't control everything. And that came down to them. But uh, emotionally, emotionally for them, uh, being able to accomplish that and reach their goal, what they had envisioned in their, in their freshman, their sophomore year, where they want to be in their senior year. And uh, that being able to somehow come together, uh, that was a big thing for our senior class this year. So, Matthias, what's what's next? What's the approach from here? Uh, you guys are where you know a lot of the states here are just putting putting the equipment away. You guys have been away from it for a while. You're always the first state in the clubhouse, right? You guys got to get it done early before it gets brutally cold out there. But uh, what's the, what's the approach moving forward for 2022? Wait, uh, do you guys have all your gear put away? I don't have all mine away yet. I'm still <laughs> chasing it down, man. My my my. my my helmets, my helmets are, <laughs> are sent in next week, so I, I need to have my helmets ready by next week. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I think I missed two or so. So <laughs> I'm at what ninety-eight percent or something like that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, um, it's the same preparation as always. I mean, we just moved from what we call green status, uh, so from. Uh, uh, into green status. This means no masks in school. Yesterday, we were wearing masks. Today, we are without masks. So all the circumstances change uh, basically every day, like like it's been in the season. I mean, that's we had we had times during the season when we uh, wore masks during our meetings inside, where we wore masks on the sidelines uh, to times when we basically, yeah, didn't pay attention a lot to it uh, besides of the things that we did for two years, actually. So for us, right now, hitting the weight room, uh, making sure on one side that our flag program is in place for our middle school. We put a lot of emphasis on that. Um, uh, we installed flag football, so our coaching staff installed flag football uh, in our district three years ago. We need that as a spread team. We need our feeder programs uh, to have some kind of a passing game because we know exactly that's our future. And if, it, that, if that is not developed, then we will not have success. So uh, we put a lot of effort on our middle school programs. Uh, I'm glad that it's trickling down to our elementary uh, schools too, so that the elementary start playing flag too. Uh, this year was the first year that uh, we have it up here in, the, in our district. And uh, so that that's our main focus right now. And uh, normally we try to get our, our uh, seniors involved into that, take on leadership uh, also in that flag football programs. They are taking uh, responsibilities on the flag program and uh, uh, also show them show the middle schoolers the way what we want and build the culture. Yeah, besides that, regular off-season work that our school does. Jeff, for you, I know very, very emotional season, as you've pointed out. What's, what's the message? What's the plan? What's the thoughts in getting back into it and getting these guys refocused for 2022? We... I think one thing that's nice, and I think these guys will probably agree after being there a while, yeah, that was my 11th season. So you find out what works and what didn't. 
So we kind of do this all systematically. So right now, just got done, and I'm happy that I get to say this. We just finished designing our rings. Next, we got a meeting with all the seniors about college recruiting. We're sending out spreadsheets and stuff with contact information. Banquets next. And then uh, coaches have already had a meeting on, like I said, some of the stuff we're going to try to tweak and some of the things we're going to look at. Already plugged in, already have uh, depth charts done for next year. Kind of reminds me of that scene at the end of Friday Night Lights where they pretty much get done and he's taking those, you know, the nameplates off and dumping them and putting the new guy up. I mean, I'd like to say it was a lot less dramatic and uh, I don't like to say it like, like you're dumping the kid and you're not thinking about him. But uh, yeah, we've already put the new names up on the spreadsheet and, and the depth charts and going, okay, what's going to work with this group? What's not? We're pretty lucky. We got a lot of starters coming back. This was the year we weren't sure if we might win it, but uh, we got a good shot of repeating. And I'm going to say that now because of uh, the positions we got back, which is three out of five starters on the line. And uh, we don't have a whole lot we need to tweak, I don't think. We're going to miss some explosive players, but uh, some of our young guys were significantly solid. In fact, we had so many injuries and COVID situations before the state game. We started two JV guys on the D-line. We had a JV guy rotating in at outside, well, our weak safety outside backer type. We had JV guys going in and out of that game. We had a sophomore get player of the game or one of the players of the game for running back. We are pretty solid. So I think the one thing we're going to do is not outthink ourselves and just kind of let things take their, their place. And, uh, you know, really just work on getting kids ready for the off season, because what I'm afraid of is when they're away from us, that's when we have problems. Academically, <clears throat> them not being in school last year was a real challenge because we do a pretty good job monitoring that stuff. And that was probably the, uh, the most difficult season off season I've had as far as like trying to keep guys engaged, um, keep making sure grades are up. So I'm hopeful that that's going to be a little bit better. I think we've got a little better process in place for that. But uh, as far as we're planning on January 5th, we'll hit the weight room again and it all starts over, you know, and I mean, I'll be doing the recruiting and the ordering and all that fun stuff that makes you go like, man, this is why I didn't want to be a head coach in the first place. <laughs> I'll have to deal with that along with these other two gentlemen. And, uh, and then you get through it and then you go, man, on to 22. And uh, yeah. that's kind of, that's kind of the thing, you know, it's, it's just keep one step in front of foot in front of the other and hopefully uh, get this thing rocking so we can maybe try to win another one. Luke, for you, what's, what's the plans moving forward? What's the first steps you're going to take here? Other than, you know, getting your equipment back. Yeah, we are still buttoning <laughs> up the season. Um, we were supposed to have our banquet last night, and uh, but I actually popped a positive COVID test last week. So I'm home quarantined, um, vaccinated and everything, but still that, that Delta variant gets you anyway. So, so we've had to push it back again. Usually we take the holidays off and kind of breathe <laughs> and get our legs under us. I usually start working out just on my own in the weight room to start getting back in shape and invite the kids to come in there on their own, nothing structured, no, you know, not the team focus that we normally do in an off season work about just a chance to get in the weight room and work. So that stuff's all going to happen. It's just way clunkier than usual right now. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. my biggest concern, I think like Jeff, Jeff voiced this is from now until January uh, is just trying to keep the kids engaged and help them stay in a good place. Uh, it's real easy to fall in the hole here with depression and stuff. It's real easy to get behind the eight ball in the classroom and 
and end up in bad places. So that's a big scramble and a push or a little bit of a scramble and a push is to just keep engaged, keep the kids up, keep their spirits up, help them finish strong through this semester. And then uh, in January, we'll really hit the ground running with workouts and, and plans and structures for what we want to do through the off season. I know uh, at, at Lathrop, we, we have a call it the code and the keys, um, a structure and a, and a culture that we've built very intentionally called EMAL, every man a leader. And, uh, and we're constantly working on the inner game and focus on working hard and always respectful and planning ahead and learn and think and serve others. We've got these things we're focused on all the time and trying to build into us. So with our guys, you know, as soon as we win a championship, it's real tempting to be like, hey, we're state champs. Now we're going to go defend our championship. And like, no, 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 no. We're emails. That, that hasn't changed. Who we are, our identity is the same as it was before we won this thing. And we need to carry this on into the next steps through the next year. We've got kids, getting, you know, some kids transition right, like literally the next day, right into wrestling. And they went right into the wrestling season. A lot of transitioned into the preseason basketball stuff and the basketball season starts here in a week or so. So some kids are already off and running on their next season, but really trying to equip these guys to be able to handle the success, right? Stay who you are, stay within yourself and move forward into the next adventures. So yeah, kids, some kids get ready for college stuff and other kids get ready for next year. And some kids don't know where they are. <laughs> and so those are the kids you really want to reach out to try to help them just find their feet. But, um, but yeah, no, the off season process has a life of its own, I think to some degree and some momentum of its own, I still need to get time to talk to my wife about what what worked or what didn't work. I mean, there's more than one occasion in this past three months where she looked at me and said, we're never doing it this way again. <laughs> I said, okay, let's talk about it at Christmas and figure out what we need to do different um, because it's just been hard. I know last year I was involved with the seven-on-seven process. This year I'm not going to be allowed to, so I'm trying to find a guy and train somebody up to take that over because I won't be able to do that, but yeah. What's it going to look like? What's this next, you know, I, a year ago, I didn't imagine that this season would be another COVID season, but here it was. Right. Um, right. So what's next season going to be? I mean, I think Jeff, Jeff would agree. He and I've had talks about this. I hope it's not as hard as this year. Cause this year was brutal. <laughs> I can't imagine having another year like this or, or worse than this somehow. So that's all something you look, I, I don't know, look forward to a little bit and try to figure out and wrap your brain around what's next. To tie things up, guys, uh, the last question, and, and I'm back into uh, coach interview season, right? Moving out of of our in-season podcast, and you guys are the first interview of, of this next off-season for me. And the last question I always ask guests in this interview, it's I was looking, it's sitting right on my desk. It's from my favorite coaching book, Bill Walsh's Finding the Winning Edge. And uh, that, that's the question. What's the one thing you do as a coach? Because you guys have said some great things here today you've pointed out some great things but uh, we'll start with Matthias here what's the one thing you do as a coach that gives your players the winning edge the main thing is don't force a system on your players always uh, put your players first make sure your players want buy into your system your players love the system and uh, if you see that it's not coming together you're the one you need to change it not the kids need to change you're the one uh, who needs to find a way that the kids are successful that is that is my number one thing that i i've been that we've been talking about now coaching staff since the last couple of years and uh, we are fully bought into that it's we want the kids to have fun we hold them accountable but uh, we make sure that they are buying into our into what we are doing and that's not just in that's that the, it's it's literally the entire program it's the entire culture they need to buy into that and that's that's the winning edge for me 
Luke, same question to you. Sure. My uh, my college football coach, Frosty Westring, uh, had an old famous quote. He said, the big time isn't a place, it's the state of your heart. And once your heart is right, you can make it anywhere. And uh, so our focus is always on the state of our hearts and, and the inside game. So there's all those other things you do in the offseason, but the work that you do in their minds and hearts is the most important. And so I'll be focusing there, trying to get our hearts right. Every kid has unique needs there for what they need. We do some stuff programmatically, big picture, with memorizations and, and structures and different things we're doing to help them build their inner game. But, um, but ultimately, yeah, if we can get our hearts right, we're going to make it. Jeff, how about for you? You know, I think the thing that, and we probably all do it to some extent, I think the thing that I do better than I ever have is I listen. You know, I have my players critique myself and the other coaches, and and they know there's no repercussion there. And, uh, you know, it helps us to keep learning, you know, because I, I've had some players that I look at that, those, you know, that, that young person and go, dang, man, I just learned something more from you than I did listen to this other coach. You know, that's, they have some insight sometimes because they're living it. And it's a, you know, Hey, we've all went through that hard, difficult time in our life at that age group. And it's, you know, they're dealing with stuff that we never did. And so I think the best thing we do is flexibility and adjustments. I, you know, as it kind of, I said, it, Matthias just touched on it, you know, you, you can't be too rigid and we got to keep learning. I mean, you know, and I think you can't be afraid to change because everybody's, learning everybody's out there trying to get better and uh you know and i, and I don't mean change just on a, as a scheme or x's and o's i mean change as a person is, and how you handle personalities and kids and you know adversity and i mean we had saying for the last two years it's like hey the best teams may not be the teams to win the best teams are going to be the ones that ha have adversity because we're all going to have it and who deal with adversity the best and I think that happens every year, but it's just been exponentially worse these last two years because of everything going on. So I think that's what well, preparation and flexibility are probably the two things that we've gotten better at. And it showed up on the, uh, the final stat sheets and the final wins loss columns and all that. And that wasn't the goal, but that's just been a nice correlation between those two things. I really appreciate you guys taking the time. This has been a great conversation. A new one for me. I've I've never had three state champions on at a time. So um, this has been great learning from you guys and hearing some of the things you've shared. And I, I wish all of you the best of luck here in 2022. Thanks, Keith. We appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you. Good to see you guys. Yeah. And hey, by the way, just said this could be on the side. These two gentlemen deserve to win the thing. They are good people outside of being good coaches and I think I was excited and when I found out Luke won that night I think I was as fired up as almost when I won my own I mean that that guy has deserved to win one for multiple years and how he handles his kids and uh and Matthias is just I mean every every meeting he's at he's respectful he's knowledgeable and uh you know I think these are two of the better coaches in Alaska as far as just good people so I was just excited to see them win one congrats yeah. fellas Thanks. Congrats, to, congrats to all of you. And uh, yeah, I, I'm just impressed with how you guys handled things and all the things you shared here. So again, you know, I've, I've done a thousand of these and not a single one has ever been the same. And, you know, same here. It's, it's great to be able to learn from you guys and be able to pass this on to coaches around the country. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity, Keith. Be well, all right? You too, guys. Thank you. All right. Take care, man. Adios. Bye. 
Coaches, thank you again for listening to the podcast. Remember to go to remember to register for our sweepstakes. Go to glazierclinics.com slash win and register for the trip for two, including flight, hotel, and rental car to any of the Glazier clinics around the country, as well as a staff pass. Total package is worth $1,900. We appreciate you listening, and that will be awarded on the five-year anniversary of the podcast, December 12th. Follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski and follow all we're doing at coachandcoordinator.com.